The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lives, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I have missed you in these episodes so much. After a brief hiatus, I am very excited to launch our brand new season with today's guest, actress, activist, and producer, Kate Bosworth. Bosworth has seamlessly transitioned from a young Hollywood starlet to one of today's leading ladies, both on screen and behind the lens. Beyond acting, her most recent project is her website, Kindest, a handmade destination featuring everything from brand recommendations to raw conversations with those who inspire her the most. Kate and I have always connected really deeply as friends, and it was so good to talk to her about the tendency to live too much in our heads learning to find the courage to be vulnerable, and what's really behind our desire to be in control. I've always really admired her ability to go inward, and I love something she said during our conversation, which was, the challenge for growth will always override whatever is holding me back. I hope it will do the same for you, and welcome back. Kate, I was going to say, I am so excited to see your gorgeous face, but we are laughing offline because we've just had an internet issue and her face is cut off, but I saw it earlier and I know how beautiful you are and I've missed seeing my friend. How are you doing? Oh, I know. Well, I can see your face and it brings such a big smile to mine. I'm doing really well. As you were saying, we were just talking offline a little bit about this last year and the idea of control and lack thereof. So I think that's like a daily sort of conversation with self. (laughs) So I think I've gone a lot deeper with myself this last year than ever before. I'm sure we see that with a lot of people, this kind of idea of moving inward. You know, look, obviously it's been incredibly challenging all the way around for many different reasons, but I've, I've found like a depth to the relationship with myself that I've never had before. And so that's a silver lining. What are the ways in which you have tried to exercise control? You know, I look, I think it goes back to, you'd have to go back to the start with me. Like I'm an only child. I am an overachiever. I was like a straight A student. I got into Princeton. My parents had like the top 10 colleges, like taped to the fridge. I got into the number one, you know, so the idea of discipline and dedication and excellence has always been in my DNA. Like horseback riding, I was a big show jumper. And I think that the idea of looking to excel in a sport that is self-competitive, like I never felt like I was competing against other people. I was always trying to do my best. And so I think that there was a lot of different elements that sort of led me to the idea of, well, control and discipline must mean success, (laughs) or at least it must be big road signs on the way to success. Look, there's been an element to obviously like being very determined and dedicated that has gotten me really far in my career, especially since I think I'm in an industry where you can be a little bit like untethered. You know, you see people who become untethered in this crazy world of Hollywood. So that served me in some aspects. But then as I started to get older, I started realizing there's also a kind of like strangling quality that can tr- that this idea of control can have. And so again, the pandemic this last year was a big 
piece of humble pie served in to the to me and the idea of control and what I can control. And it really did serve me a huge amount of humility to realize like, wow, actually nothing's in my control. And so then this last year in particular has been a really kind of beautiful and unexpected lesson in letting go. Right. That you need it. That's hugely challenging for me. Like that's I say that and anyone who's listening is like, well, how do you do that? And I've answered I don't know, but every single day I try to just create a little bit of space around the notion of just holding something too tight and allowing that space to be. And honestly, meditation has been really helpful to me. I have never meditated in my life. I've always said I was a terrible meditator, like very type A, you know, and like the idea of silence and sitting alone with like a flute playing in the background is like not my MO. Do you use an app? Yeah. So my, well, so what happened was a very, very dear friend of mine who she works in health and, you know, when lockdown happened last March, she gave a few of her friends different challenges and she knows I'm a very like athletic physical person. So instead of giving me a physical challenge, she said, I challenge you to 30 days straight meditation. So for the month of April, you are meditating every single day. And I just thought, oh man, can I like do something else? And can I learn to bake or cook or something? But she also knows I'm someone who, if like, if you give me a challenge, I'm going to do it. It's the goat in me, Sarah, you know? Yeah. Well, these are our earth signs. Yeah. Somebody I was talking to recently was saying that boys are socialized to be brave and girls are socialized to be perfect. And Mm. when you're saying all these things about growing up, I wonder for you if it was something that you feel that you were doing for your own sense of self-worth, or if it was something that you were doing to please your parents. So I do think that there's something that goes hand in hand with all of this, like sort of striving for perfection Mm -hmm. across the board, right? There's the control, there's perfection, there's these sort of outward markers of what we think success is. And that's what the podcast is really about, which feels timely this year, because we're all kind of reassessing what does success mean? You've hit so many of those things. And do you feel like I am the success or I have the success I wanted? Okay. Let me, let me start with the first question. So, you know, I definitely feel like being an only child and it's a very specific club. My stepdaughter is an only child and she and I talk about this a lot. When you're in that club, it's basically all spotlights are on you, (laughs) you know? And so you get like an enormous amount of attention and love, which is incredible. And you feel so held and supported, or at least in my experience, I felt this way. And there's also the spotlight of it's all on you. I mean, I remember my dad, you know, saying to me every day, just try your hardest, do your best. And truly that has served me so well. He gave me the foundation to excel. And then really it's up to me. You know, it's like certainly as a, as a high school student where I was still like coming of age. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure. It was intense. But then again, I'm also a pretty intense person. I would say like, there's definitely different things to describe me, but like intense is one of them. And so the idea of success for me as a young person was definitely driven from my parents, but then it, it then departed into my own definitions of success and pushing myself. And I've always had a kind of an athletic approach to things that I want to be successful in. Even my husband, you know, who's a filmmaker and we met on set 
one of the first things he said to me before we were even together, he said, you have such an athletic approach to your job, the way that I learn lines, the way he always says, like, I quote, unquote, run my routes, you know, <laughs> like, uh, when he gives me certain like direction, he said, you're very athletic with how you approach different goals. But then the ideas of success to get to your the second part of your question, they've definitely shifted as of late. And I don't know if it's like different phases in your life. Like I've felt more whole and complete than I ever have at 38. I've always had older friends and like women who are like a decade older than me. And and so I've felt very grateful to be able to have friends to lean on, to be able to look to and have a hand in, in guiding the way. And they've always said like, oh, your 30s are so great, but even it starts getting even better in your late 30s and even better in your 40s and your 50s are even greater than that. And, I, and I'm starting to understand what they mean because I've loved my 30s so much, but it's my later 30s that I felt like I'm really settling into myself in a way that's like getting into, at least for me, what's the most challenging aspects of being alive, which are like the vulnerable sides of self, the quiet sides of self the patient sides of self, like those are the things that I've had to work hard for to have a really healthy relationship with myself. I'll use an example of exercise. So I was always the kind of person who thought like, if you're not like ground to a pulp, sweating, like feeling it, like you're not there, you know, (laughs) like you're not exercising or feeling your body enough. The same friend who gave me the meditation exercise also works in the world of fitness. And so she works with smaller movements, more patient movements. And first I thought, what are we doing? Like, I'm just like, we're not really doing Because you're not going to sweat like <laughs> yeah. crazy doing yes. those things. Right. And yet all of a sudden- And then you were realize, you sore? Yes. And so, and so you realize that there's so much power in like the patience of mind-body connection, but you have to have patience with those types of things. And I've always been more comfortable with the sprint. Like, let's sprint. I, I can get there fast. I can get there hard. I can, you know, I can be on the hamster wheel. I can grind it out. I've got grit. I've got all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you start to realize that there is an expiration date to that and that you have to find a different, I mean, I'll use the word kind, but like a kinder, more patient relationship with yourself to find in, in answer to your question of success. For me, success is like real whole happiness. It's not a destination. It's not a Oscar. It's not a role. It's not piles of money. It's not fame. It's not clothes. It's not shoes. It's not, you know, all the things that we might look at social media and think, oh my God, she has it all. It's true peace and happiness. Right. Which is the work of a lifetime. Yes. And then that really ultimately is not defined by a relationship that you have with your partner or your friends. It really is the relationship that you have with the person who's looking at you back in the mirror. Which is the hardest. Yeah. But so fulfilling and like exciting and yes, hard, man. I oh, like I love women. I just root for them. I've I've been an actress since I was 14 years old. And I remember growing up with like Natalie Portman and Scarlett and Kirsten and we were all going for the same roles. And anytime any one of them got a role I wanted, I was so like excited for them. I I never had competitive nature with other people. It was always like okay, well, how can I do better? And what can I do to get the next one? Or which which one is meant for me? And why is it meant for me? You know, so it's always been, I've always been aware of the relationship with self, like very intimately, but the bigger things we're talking about, the, the things that I've had to really 
move inward and think hard about and do a lot of internal deep dive work, uh, you know, that's only been able to come with time. Right. Well, that's also, that's such an anomaly. I feel like within that industry to not have that competitive spirit, number one, because you are being pit against so many people. And like you said, there's a dearth of roles, right? And you are coming up with the same group of girls and you're being considered for a lot of the same things, having that athletic spirit and that competitive spirit. It's so evolved that you were able to focus that inwards early on versus how can I be better than this person? Or why did this person get it? Because that is something that takes a long time to move past too. I've never liked the feeling of jealousy. And I'm grateful for this, honestly. I just find so much more joy. And I always have in people's success and like their joy, like that brings me a lot of joy. I love that. Okay. So let's begin at the beginning for a few things. What was the most recent lie that you've told? The most recent lie, uh, I gosh, I'm so, I'm a terrible liar to be totally honest. <laughs> I it's, and it's funny because my job is an actress and that's to perform, but I would think you'd be great. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a good liar at all. I've always been one who flushes easily. Like I remember some of my earliest memories in school. Like if I get embarrassed, I'm in front of the class. Like I get really red. And my, one of my nicknames in middle school was like tomato face. No, <laughs> so It literally is like my emotions get written on my face real quickly. Like I'm a transparent person, which is why I think I've found a lot of really great relationships, both in work and personally, and just being very direct and very transparent. And it can be a little jarring to people. Like sometimes they're like, whoa, she's like, <laughs> again, that comes back to the intensity, but I just feel like I don't know how to like tiptoe around something. No, but that's the best. Just saves you so much time. And that's why well, I feel like you and I connected really, really quickly because you're similar that way where it's like, where do we need to go? What do we need to say? Let's get there. And yeah. it expedites like the relationship and the process, what you need to do. But the lie, I don't know. I mean, lies, I'm, I'm not good at it. It probably was like to not hurt someone's feelings. Probably. I can't remember a specific example. So that's the occasion on which you think it's okay to lie then is when it's you're probably you know, saving someone's feelings. And again, like I'm someone who will probably find a way to be truthful kindly. But if I, if I do lie, it's probably something that's small and that I think I don't need to say something that will upset someone deeply unnecessarily. Okay. We all know about how much we have lost during this time, right? But what have you had enough of? Not being able to touch people and hug people the way that I normally do. I'm such a tactile person. Like I'm, I'm a hugger. I just, it's touch is so important to me. I've had enough of not being able to do that. <laughs> and it's hard too, right? It's like, even I think the dance of when you do see people and you know, even when you kind of figure out the nuance of what feels safe or not, the natural inclination is no longer just to grab people because yes. you're scared. And I hate that about this, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And I think the word scared is is an interesting one and an appropriate one during this last year, because I think that like when we're talking about things like control, there's always the element of fear that is the other side of control. Like we, we have control because we fear that if we don't, then something's going to happen. So it's sort of like hand in hand. So those two things, the fear and the control, I think this last year have been like a constant conversation in my day to day. So I was thinking when you would ask how would do, what have you had enough of? There was a part of me that was like, 
have I had enough of the deep dive? <laughs> you know? Right. And then, you know, there was a part of me that thought that too, where it's like, I've gone so deep inward. And there are some days where I feel like I've had enough. Like I, I had a conversation with a girlfriend this morning where I just said, man, I've had enough of that. I've had enough of the mental challenge of self, if not even anything else, but just the conversation with self. But then the truth is every time I feel like I've hit a plateau or like just a resistance with that, I find there's a breakthrough that's about to happen or that, that happens soon thereafter. So I don't know. It's just learning to just be on the ride. Yeah. You and I were talking about that before because we're both earth signs and we have a lot of similarities. Although when you said, I just love to feel, I was like, check, please. Like I realize I don't. And that's something that I'm working on. My control issue is not feeling. And that, you know, I was telling you that I had this, you know, reading with this woman and she was talking about embodiment. And you strike me as someone who is fully in her body, right? Like you use it as a tool for your work. And again, I could be projecting. So tell me if I'm right. You know, I was having some like anxiety migraine issues and they really only ever started when I got pregnant. And she said, I think for you, when you got pregnant was the first time you ever dropped into your body. And Mm -hmm. also even the physical spirit of that, just like moving Mm -hmm. forward, Mm -hmm. going someplace else, producing, scoring, having accomplishments, things that validate you in some way. And being in your body and feeling is is a different challenge for me. I have that same challenge, actually. I live way too much, like absolutely mind-bendingly so in my head. It's like my, Michael calls it the hamster wheel. It's just like round and round and round and round and round and round and round, which is why I like to do a lot because it puts that energy, electricity, anxiety, neurosis, whatever, whatever it is that's going around and around into something. What I found with meditation, and again, like I was a skeptic, I resisted it, but it has totally helped that relationship of being here in your body right now, touching the chair, feet on the floor in your body. It's something I I truly, Sarah, have to work at like moment to moment. Yeah. No, I feel you so hard because I do too. Like how incredible to have someone who really sees the places where you have challenges and wants you to rise to the occasion to meet those things. I think that's such a good friend. Oh yeah. She's, she's brilliant. And she and I, we can recognize the challenge and uplift and challenge in a different perspective that improves very gently. It's like a very special, special friendship. That's amazing. Let's talk about the idea of having it all. Is that something that you subscribe to? I think I used to kind of sort of chase after the idea of that carrot more. (laughs) But now I don't even know what that means. What does having it all mean, you know, to really like unpack it? I feel like having it all for me has transformed into it's important for me to have a healthy relationship with myself. It's important for me to have love and family at the forefront. That's always been the case, like family, friendship love has always been a priority for me. It's a must for me to be creative. The idea of expression and communication and connectivity and even something like this, like takes that box for me. You know, I, I love to perform. I, I love to tell stories. I think connection, the, connection, I think is why we're here. I really do. I think to connect with other people and experience that and through 
I'll use like the V word that's always hard for me, but like vulnerability ultimately is why we're here and love. Having it all for me means like if I can be really making sure that I am putting those things at the priority of my life, that's really all that I want. Quite honestly, like, and I know that people listening are probably like, oh, but you know, fashion and celebrity and fame and blah, blah, blah. Those things really have never been the having it all priority for me. Even when I was younger, I always wanted to find a partner who saw me and understood me. And I felt the same with him and that we uplifted each other. That was very important to me to find that kind of partnership and to nurture the friendships in that same way and family. Like those things were always very important, but I have to say that having it all aspect would be including myself in that nurturing space. I feel like I'm so good at showing up for other people. It fills me with joy, but the moment that it's doing it for yourself. That is very challenging. And I even gave an example to, to my friend this morning where I said, oh my gosh, I put up an Instagram yesterday because I just had a really tough weekend. And this is was t-shirts. Yes. So I, I had a really tough weekend and I, and I just thought, gosh, what do I want to communicate? And sometimes on Instagram, I kind of just want to put something like fun up that's like, oh, this is me on a photo shoot or whatever. But then there's sometimes and quite often as I get older and more recently that I want to, it's my way of communicating and saying, Hey, I feel this way. I'm going to put my vulnerability out there on my sleeve, literally with that photo. But I, this weekend had been tough and I was thinking, well, I want to communicate. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to put those photos up, you know, from 10 years ago when I was really struggling, I had to put these photos up and it was really for me to be able to say, Hey, we all go through these moments. We all go through tough, shitty, difficult, challenging, messy moments. It's okay. But it was really for me to like communicate that so that if anyone else was struggling, that they felt held and that they felt better. And I got a few messages so sweet from people that were like, Hey, are you okay? <laughs> you know? Right. And that was really hard for me. And I said to my friend, like, I have to look at that, you know? Why was that hard getting those messages? So for anybody listening who didn't see it, when Kate was referencing this time 10 years ago that she had been going through a rough spot, her husband had made these t-shirts, right? He took white plain t-shirts and just wrote messages on them. First he said he bought these because I was really mad. I was going through it. Like it was, it was a rough, rough spot. And he said, well, communicate it. Like you should just write it on your sleeve. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, I'm going to go buy some t-shirts and some Sharpies. And you can just write down how you're feeling on yourself, like on your shirt. Mm -hmm. Literally. Literally. And so he came back and I just found the whole thing kind of charming and like sort of laughed. And it really like made it all less serious in a playful way. But I did, I wrote on the front of the shirt, figure it out, grow up. That was what I had written, you know, because I was just like struggling with myself. And on the back he wrote, I fucking love you, Kate. And it was so great. I love and, that. I, and that was what I had posted was the, the front side on my heart, on my sleeve was like, figure it out, grow up, Kate, you know, sort of like a bit judgmental of myself. And on the back, he was like, you're loved. But when I received the love, right, was, you were like, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so that's what I mean about the daily look at self and self-love and vulnerability in my relationship with that. I love Brene Brown. You know, I read so much Brene Brown because she is similar in that she loves the analytics. She loves the logical, that sort of like earth, the like, research, you know, mm -hmm. the research. But when it comes down to the idea of vulnerability, it's like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. Check, please. That's my check, please. 
Right. But that's the bravest part. The challenge for growth will always override whatever is holding me back. So that's why why I started Kindest was I want to connect, but I don't know if I want to feel so vulnerable. And I was like, well, you can't have both. So you have to really like, if you're going to say, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. Like you better start looking into that and having a fuller relationship with that idea of vulnerability and self-love. Right. You can't be half a gangster. You got to go in (laughs) all the way. Oh my God. And that's so hard for so many of us. Okay. Talking about designing a life that you want to lead. What I think is really interesting about what you said about the having it all part is that I think it's very easy from the outside to look at a life, especially as an actress, right? Mm -hmm. And I know it's not all glamorous and Mm -hmm. that there's a lot to it that leaves you, I'm sure, vulnerable a lot of the time. Yeah. But from the outside, it's very Mm -hmm. easy for other people to only see the one dimension of it. And I love that you say it was never about those things for me and that you're still searching for something else. But growing Mm -hmm. up, did you have an idea of this sort of life that you wanted to build? I knew that I wanted to be a part of feeling and communicating and just being a part of something bigger. Like to give it the perfect example, my first job was a movie called The Horse Whisperer and it was directed by Robert Redford and I was 14 and the only reason why I got that role or one of the main reasons why I got that role is because I was a horseback rider. I was show jumping every weekend and Robert Redford really wanted unknown actresses who just had an affinity with horses. And so so that that was really I always say like my first love of horseback riding led the way to my love of acting and storytelling. But Scarlett Johansson was the lead in that movie and she was 12. And I remember this is like my first job. And I was like, so how does this all work? You know, cause I'd never even been on a set before. Like I didn't know, I didn't know how to Were like Were you auditioning lines. for things or was this no. like, did this come through the horse community? Like how exactly. did you even, or yes, the was- equine, equine community rather? Yes. It, well, it was very much like a random happenstance where, I went to like an open casting call in New York. I lived in Connecticut at the time, but I never like, I didn't know that you could have a job (laughs) like this. I didn't know. I I didn't have industry parents who were like, oh, you should go be an actress or you should model. You should do that. My parents were like normal people when we lived in a small town, you know, I went to public school. Like there was no fanfare about anything. And so when I got this first job, I was just kind of like, oh my God, like I, I just have to hang on and try and survive this and fake it. But I remember asking Scarlett like a million questions because she's, she'd been working since she was like two and a half. <laughs> and she's I just like thought, such a pro. Oh my God. No, she was such a pro. I, and I was just in awe. Like my jaw was just on the floor and I would always ask her, like, I remember saying, like, how do you cry? And it seemed, cause that was always very mysterious to me. Like, how mm-hmm. do you cry? Mm-hmm. On cue. And I remember at that point, I mean, remember she'd been working for like 10 years. She was like, Oh, I don't know. You just, you just do it. It just comes. There's something that was so casual because she was already like a veteran. Did you get this first taste and you were like, I'm doing this forever? Oh, totally. Was this like a one and done? No, no. I, it was like, I mean, I, they used the word like you're bit by the bug, but I I think I was actually, to be honest, I never felt like I belonged anywhere. I always felt kind of like a loner. I had a more of like an outsider feeling. I don't know if people perceived me that, that way, but I felt that way. I never felt like I quite belonged. I was never into like cliques or like popular groups or like that. I, that always made me feel very uncomfortable. I always wanted to be friends with everybody 
and I didn't like anyone feeling excluded or sad or lonely. And so when I found myself on set, I felt like I had found my community. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I belong. I know they this are. world. Yes, here they are. When I wrapped that movie, I sobbed. Oh my God. I sobbed like I'd never sobbed before because it was just heartbreaking to me that this was over. Right. And also you had Robert Redford for your first ever experience. So it's like people work their entire life to get to yeah. that point. And I wasn't aware of that. Like, I, I don't think I'd even seen a Robert Redford movie at 14. I was really excited because I got to ride the real Black Beauty. <laughs> no. <laughs> so as a 14 year old girl who like, I didn't have boys on my wall. I had like horses on my wall, you know? And like, honestly, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I was really focused on excelling in the equine world, as you say. And so I was just like, so excited to be riding horses all day and like being a part of this community and make believe and being creative. But really it was the connection to horses that was like magical. You continue acting. And then you also, like you said, you got accepted to Princeton, which you deferred. Mm -hmm. Where was the career at, at that point where you decided I'm not going to go this route. I'm going to follow acting (laughs) and I'm going to continue. I tried very hard in high school to excel both academically and also professionally, but I knew that one would have to be compromised at some point. I'd always be very academically prone because that was what was in front of me. I was in high school, but I also loved working. Like I really loved the professional aspect of of working and being a part of this creative world. So when I Got into Princeton, I remember feeling really worried because I thought, I can't straddle that world and this world. That's too much. You know what I mean? Like I was barely hanging on with high school and these bit parts here and there. And I thought there's no way that I can excel somewhere as incredible as Princeton and then also go and like, oh, I'm just going to go do a movie and then I'll be back. Like, I was like, there's no way that's going to work. I remember that decision as being the first big real adult crossroads where my parents were obviously so thrilled that I, you know, had gotten into Princeton and they're of the generation where it's like, well, you, of course you go to an Ivy league school and then you have a great life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever that everything's safe. You follow that route and it's all going to be good. And you're like, no, I'm going to go into acting. Yeah. I remember I sat them down and I said, I've never given acting like a full focused attempt, you know, Mm -hmm. as like, it's always like one foot in one foot out. And I said, I just want to go for a year to Los Angeles because I lived in the Boston area at the time, a little town outside of Boston. And I said, I just want to go to LA and just give it one year and just every ounce of me of the determined discipline, Kate is going to just go into this year. And if nothing happens, that's okay. I'll go to Princeton and maybe I'll, I'll see what happens after college. But like, I'll, I just want to give this one year. And so I went out to LA on my own and like lived in a little studio apartment and went on five, six, seven auditions a day and really went for it. And I ended up getting blue crush to, to move out to LA as a young person and get a big role within four or five oh months. Oh my God. Right. Unheard. And yet at the time I was like, oh my God, like my year is like almost halfway over. I'm going to book something, you know? So I always felt like there was an enormous amount of like pressure. I always say that was like one of the most vital organs of my career because like I had to transform my body. I had to learn to surf. I'd never touched a surfboard in my life. So, and that sport I think has like the steepest learning curve of any. So it was insane. Like there's, it's very rare that you get a role where you're like, 
this is me. It's mm-hmm. just through and through. I have to do this. It's like a very weird lightning rod, full body experience. That was my, you know, my feeling with Anne-Marie in that movie. I was like, this is, this is so much crossing over here and, and energy is like, I have to do this. And it was a hard earned role because obviously I'd never surfed before. So <laughs> that makes sense. I love Blue Crush so much. And I know, I remember, cause you had to like put on yeah. pounds of muscle and really probably tapped into all your kind of rigorous athletic stamina and capabilities of doing this challenge. And Listen, you've had an incredible acting career. So it's like, you've never had to look back and say, should I have gone to print? You know, it's like that, like that moment in the woods, right? Where there's like two roads. I deferred for a couple of years after that. And I, and I remember that being like kind of stressful because mm-hmm. I still felt like, like I'm such an all-in person. I've never been comfortable at like, well, I'll just kind of straddle both and see what happens. I'm like, no, I've got to make a decision all in. What is it going to be? You know, so the, those couple of years of coming of age, you know, um, living on my own, falling in love for the first time, working professionally, all these things that are like very new and defining. It was weird to have like this other life sort of like hovering, but you can also still do this. And so at a certain point I had to say, like, I'm not going to be going for now. And they were really kind and saying like, well, if you ever want to go. And like now as I'm older and as an adult, I'm like, now I kind of really do want to go and study. I'm so much more I'm so much more inclined to learn now than I was then. We deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something that we take every day. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms your body can actually use. What you won't find, sugar, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, and artificial colorants. Little rituals create big changes, and I know that first and foremost with what I put into my body. Using Ritual allows me to make sure I'm getting all my nutrients without having to worry about the fuss of stopping and picking up vitamins. They're delivered right to my doorstep. They're created by women and they're traceable and evidence-based. A multivitamin should contain key nutrients in forms your body can actually use to help fill gaps in the diet. No shady extras. Ritual's delayed release capsule design delivers high quality nutrients, including vitamin D3 in just two daily pills. Get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash other lies to start your ritual today. Everything looks very glamorous from the outside, but what do you think people would be surprised to learn about being an actress or what are some of the kind of more challenging parts of it? Not preparing for a role or putting on muscle or learning a new sport, but rather the vulnerability that you don't like that you probably feel a lot as an actress. I always give the advice of any young person or any, any person period who wants to be an actor, like you have to get so comfortable with rejection that it's no longer even a part of you. That's just over there. And it's not even a part of your emotional relationship anymore because you have so much of it. Like you're, you're rejected all the time and it's brutal. I mean, it's brutal. And like, you're too pretty. You're not pretty enough. You're too thin. You're not thin enough. You're blonde. We don't like blondes. Like whatever. I don't know. It's like literally you could any crazy thing that you can think of I've heard. And so I remember at a very early age thinking, God, I've got to get really comfortable and like 
figure out a way to sort of preserve like who I am without that because like I started to really see the detriment of that. I would expect a rejection and it would just be okay. And I was so comfortable with it that it stopped permeating like my personal space or my relationship with myself. And so I think that when you ask about vulnerability and being discerning about the things that you like let in and digest and allow to come into your space and affect you, the idea of other people's perceptions, I had to really like put my hand out and stop that. You know, whether it was like from a professional point of view or gosh, I think back on the days of like when I was 20, 21, 22, 23, and like it was before social media, but it was like weird chat rooms. It was a very bizarre time of like internet trolling and criticism, but in a really like weird, dark corner. And it was also the time, mm -hmm. if I recall, weeklies became really like big and like big fodder, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Very and really aggressive. aggressive. Like yes. Perez Hilton. And we, you know, I've talked about that with someone else, like that would not fly now. Remember mm -hmm. he would draw on people and we're talking about people's appearances too, like in a way as trolly as people are now, I would say in terms of, for the most part, Perez Hilton was like a well-regarded website in its own respect as mm -hmm. being that kind of first mm -hmm. celebrity news, but it was mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. It was a very mean sort of undercurrent during that time. I, I think that I ex like literally preserved myself because I, I don't know, man, I like found a way to just hold it at arm's length. I remember one day I was probably like 22, 23. And I read something like so <laughs> devastatingly mean. And I was like, I don't have to read that stuff. And it was like a real right. moment of understanding that like something's only as powerful as like the power I give it. And so I was like, I am not going to read that anymore. I will never Google myself again. And I, and I haven't, like, it was like, when I draw a line in the sand with myself, it's pretty strong. Like I have very strong. Well, yeah, I believe and, it, but I do I remember, I mean, you can't help sometimes when you're like in the, the bubble, like that, like you see something on the cover of us weekly where it's like, you know, she's going off the rails or whatever it is. And I remember thinking like, I don't feel like I'm going, am I going off the rails? You know, like, really bizarre, mean-spirited, pointedly bullying things. Well, and also, like you said, you were such totally. a young woman at that point, 21 years old. You have no idea who you are. You're figuring that out and being under the microscope of people. Also, as an actor, there's a, an element of being a commodity right. almost, right? Like in the way that you said, it's like, you're too thin, you're too fat, you're pretty, you're not pretty enough, you're blonde, you're this. But like what you're talking about is being an actual human being underneath all of that and trying to create some sort of self-preservation. How do you do that with social media now? Because like you said, this was pre-social media. So now mm. you're in that space of you want to use it to share like you did the other day, but also no one is immune to mm -hmm. that feeling that we all feel when you start endlessly scrolling. So how do you create content and stay relevant and put stuff out there, but not let it get into your own psyche? Mm. I mean, I think things changed like when I became a stepmom. And I do feel like we have evolved to a place where mental health is more prioritized. And we can talk about that more. And the idea of bullying or shaming is, for the most part, not acceptable. And there's more openness in that dialogue, which I'm thrilled for. But when I became a stepmom, I was 
around 28 and she was like just on the cusp of a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so I got to watch and Jasper hit these like milestones and then like having a moment of struggling with identifying herself and who she wanted to identify with. And then I remember certain moments where I was like, wow, I was 21 when certain things happened to me and seeing her and realizing like how young she is and sort of, I don't know, there was this like moment where I felt like, yes, an enormous amount of empathy. Cause I was like quite hard on myself where I was like, don't let that stuff bother you. Like, why are you so affected by that? whatever? And I was like very like judgy kind of like hardcore relationship I'd have with myself to survive a lot of it. But then watching her mm-hmm. and thinking like, no, of course you can't process this. Yeah. You like you're tools. just, you're, you're so, so young. young and like, yeah, there was an enormous amount of self-empathy that started to grow, which was actually a beautiful thing. The well of vulnerability started to deepen a lot more. And, and I still continue. I mean, she's 23 and I had dinner with her last night and she's going through different milestones right now. That relationship with my stepdaughter has really allowed much more softness and empathy and things that I wasn't so comfortable with growing up. And I was really tough. I had a lot of grit and I, I yeah. still feel that way, but there's like a softening. I'm probably leaning more towards like the femininity rather than the masculinity as I get a little older. You recently launched a new platform, Kindest, and I read that this was sort of the impetus was going through the loss of your grandmother and that you were in this moment, sort of like in the middle of it with the abyss of just like struggling probably to accept what had just happened and you got a ping on your phone that was just the ding of real life. And it was the consumption and the reminders and all the things. And you felt like all of that was the same, but that you were no longer the same. And you wanted to create something where you felt like a little bit of what you're saying now, like you could share vulnerability and you could be more real. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, you just really, you know, hit the nail on the head. It was a moment of, look, I, I was with my grandmother when she passed. First of all, she had dementia, Alzheimer's, and it's a very it was like a decade long struggle with that. And I was the matriarch of our family. She is the most extraordinary woman. I think I probably got a lot of my creativity from her. She's just, she's really a magical person. And I know like we can like hear that and think like, Oh yeah, but she, she really is like, we always called her like an angel on earth. She's really extraordinary. And so we knew that she was going to be going about a week. And so our whole family and we're very close, like, just like, held the space for her in the room that she was at. And it was like this beautiful experience of like pure love that like cross generations. Like my cousin and I were there. He's like my brother, my mom and her sister. And just, it was very special. She passed and then we were there after that. And it's just a very intense life-changing experience. And you're right. I had like a ping of the real world. And I just thought like, I had just had this experience where I just knew like, there's something more, there's so much more than this sort of rat race grind. And I just felt this like need to express myself in a deeper way. And so I basically just created kindness to kind of like open up my world a little bit wider to people and to connect and communicate and you know, even just like, just to smile more, be curious or to discover things. It's not all like, everything's like super intense and deep, but it is there if you want to explore that side of things. 
there are people that I highlight that are doing like extraordinary things and making our world a more kind place. And I wanted to debunk this idea that like kindness is cheesy. There's this great Matt Haig quote where he says, head for the warm people. You'll be cool when you're dead. (laughs) You know? And I sort of loved this idea of it's a place where it's cool to be kind, but that actually means that it's warm. And I really hope that I've done the best that I can to be warm to others and kindest as a place that's like the hub of that. What's been the most fun part of that exercise in terms of putting that together and what has proved more challenging? This is a place and I'm sure like people listening might think, oh, she's someone who has like a team of people running this site. And I'm like, no, it's just me. Like every word read is I've written it or at most I'd say 99% of pictures taken, I've taken them even of the food. (laughs) You know, it's like me and my kitchen taking these photos, having made this dish. It really is like a place of self-expression. It's not an overly produced world of celebrity. I promise you that. It's very pure. So when I'm about to press publish on an article or a piece that makes me feel vulnerable. Yes. Well, it's nervous. I was going to say whenever it's like Mm -hmm. nervous or like, Mm -hmm. oh man, like this is going to be like out there. Like I know it's something that's really important. And it's always those articles that I get. I just, I read every single letter that finds its way to me. Then they mean so much to me. It's like this beautiful lesson of nothing really ends. This whole idea of creating this space because of my experience, my relationship, my love of my grandmother, the challenge is probably like my most vulnerable, but then I also love, now I'm getting to the point where I have like extraordinary people reaching out to me to collaborate with me and kindest. And like, that's really like a stunning realization because I always feel like, oh, but it's just like my little corner of the internet. Like, I don't even know, even know if people are paying attention or reading or listening. And then I'll get someone who says like, hey, I'd love to do something with kindness. Like I admire so much. And I just think, oh my God, I'm just really overwhelmed sometimes. And I, it makes me like believe in more. Well, to wrap it up, I love what you're doing with Kindest. And I wonder for you, knowing that maybe it doesn't exist in the way that you thought it did, but what would having it all look like to you, Kate Bosworth, today? Having a cup of tea and being content with my husband and feeling loved and also loving and expressing that and connecting that love in the ways that we are able to. And I think that like really like spreading love and being loved and loving in return is having it all. Well, you are always one of the warm places for me. I love seeing you and I love talking to you. For anyone who doesn't follow you or kindest, where can they find you? I'm I'm mostly on Instagram. I'd say that's the place where you'll really see my expression of myself and the connectivity, but kindest is K-I-N-D dash est.com. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm very happy that our video worked yeah. and I got to see your pretty face and I really hope to see you in person soon. I'm not a big hugger, but I'm going to hug you like I oh, really, really I love you, Sarah. It. Thank you so much for having me. I'm <laughs> so, so good to, to see you. you. Having It All in Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah underscore Riff and the show at Having It All Podcast. See you next week.